Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and well-being and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Humanly. My name's Daniel Reuters, and today I'm joined by Dr. Kisilev from Russia. And I spoke with you a few days ago, and I have um, seen podcasts that you were on about a month or so ago, and I really resonated with what you were saying. And as soon as I saw you on that podcast, I knew that I had to talk to you. So thank you so much for coming along today. Thank you for inviting me, Daniel. Pleasure to be here with you. You're very welcome. Um, so, yeah, I know a little bit about you because I've seen you speak previously, but just for anyone who's watching who may not have come across any of your previous work, would you mind just giving a little bit about your background and who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm the graduate of St. Petersburg Pediatrics Medical uh, Academy at the time. Now it's a medical university. Um, uh, my degree was evaluated by Foundation for International Services in U.S. and found to be an equivalent of a doctor of medicine degree in U.S. I have never applied for any uh, board certificate or licenses anywhere uh, consciously uh, for multiple reasons. We're not going to get in depth, but uh, because I do have my concerns about the uh, allopathic medicine and how it's organized, especially in the States, because I've been working, uh, you know, after the graduation, I've moved to the States in 1997 and worked there for almost 20 years. Uh, uh, one of my biggest jobs was, uh, the longest ones, was uh, um, in the role of the executive director of the Adult Day Health Center in Washington State. Uh, we had two facilities in Bellevue and in Branton. We were the biggest Adult Day Health Center. Uh, in the state, um, um, uh, and the only center that was working with um, 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 uh, diverse uh, cultural communities uh, covering the, uh, 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 the um, foreigners, uh, uh, migrants coming from uh, different parts of former Soviet Union and uh, uh, a socialistic camp, the uh, best uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, so I have also quite an extensive, uh, uh, not only medical, but cultural background uh, and administrative background. Uh, been working in this 15 years, not only as an executive, but also I've started as a program director and uh, uh, kept uh, staying involved throughout all these years uh, into the um, multidisciplinary plans, um, care plans of the patients, uh, being involved into the uh, issues of differential diagnosis, medical errors, uh, rehab services, and so on and so forth. So the medical aspect still was uh, pretty big. I was deeply involved with legislative processes uh, because uh, in my tenure um, uh, in that position, uh, we've been going the uh, changes in VAX, and I've been part of the working group uh, that's been uh, working on the new language for Washington administrative codes. Um, because of our issues with DSHS, uh, because they believed we are <laughs> Russian mafia, probably, uh, we had to get uh, media and um, legislature, legislatives involved in um, the process, making sure that we are being treated uh, justly. And uh, so I myself got deeply involved into the uh, social and uh, political life of first of Bellevue and then later on of uh, the Washington state in general. I even ran for the city council at some point. Yes, and um, uh, I've been on different boards. Uh, I've uh, served two terms of the uh, our arts commissioner for the city of Bellevue. I've been the board member for Watson Washington Building Services Association. Um, I've been on the uh, uh, Bellevue School Foundation board and allocations committee. So I have uh, different experiences everywhere. And uh, of course, I have quite an extensive uh, 
political experience as well, as you can imagine. <clears throat> so I uh, think I've covered pretty much all the aspects of uh, uh, life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then back in 2015 or 16, um, I came back to Russia for personal reasons and um, live here ever since, back in my hometown, St. Petersburg. Um, uh, being involved working with um, um, uh, Doctors Without Borders, known in Europe as MSF, Medicines and Frontiers. I've been first, I've started first as a, um, a project coordinator for St. Petersburg and uh, vicinity. Um, we've been working on, on HIV projects amongst others. Uh, so that's another uh, involvement of uh, with uh, the so-called infectious, the not so-called, but the uh, virology, some aspect of virology. <laughs> and then later I've been promoted to become the personal advisor for the head of mission um, of uh, MSF Brussels in Russia. Well. Wow. So you're incredibly accomplished and obviously incredibly well-trained and um, very obviously intelligent and um, have probably a, a great worldview and, and great perspective on a lot of things. But yeah, just a part of what you said there was like um, the work that you're doing with HIV. Um so how does, like, the reason why I wanted to get you on was because I heard you um, on this other podcast with Emmy Ray and you were sort of talking about mm-hmm. viruses and infections and my ears pricked up because this has been something that I've been really interested in and trying to learn as much as I can. Um, so, like, what's your whole, what's your perspective on infections and, and viruses? Like, is it, has it changed from what you were taught in your medical training? Like, where do you sort of sit now with all? Yes, tremendously, yeah. Okay. It did change. The the more experience I was obtaining, the deeper I was getting into the understanding, the practical side of it, the more it was changing. And um, uh, I wasn't an infectionist, of course, uh, and most of my... uh, um, uh, work with the MSF, the Doctors Without Borders, was um, uh, on uh, you know uh, organizational um, administrative side. Uh, I've been um, you know organizing conferences and events, uh, doing a lot of uh, um, communication, the mm-hmm, uh, government relationships, public relationships. But of course, uh, in order for me to deal with the HIV programs in Russia, I had to uh, get in depth of of these programs and uh, meet with different organizations, uh, social and medical, that are working with HIV. And that's when I've started getting, uh, I have not been approaching them just as a program coordinator. I've been approaching them also as a medical professional, right, with a, a conventional uh, training. And of course, I've had my questions. And uh, when um, the heads of the HIV centers been sharing with me their concerns and problems and issues, I've also been having, uh, you know, getting the questions. And I've had to uh, uh, do additional studies and uh, research. And um, um, of course, I ran into the uh, term uh, HIV dissident, and um, I, I've uh, realized that there are many so-called dissidents, HIV dissidents, amongst uh, medical professionals, mm. highly trained, highly qualified medical professionals, which made me think and wonder. And uh, I started studying the issue, but uh, to be honest, uh, not as much at the time. So it was uh, still an open question for me, even though I saw that it doesn't, things don't match. Because the, yes, there is AIDS and it's a completely different uh, story. AIDS can be caused by many different issues. It can be caused by radiation, can be caused by hormonal treatment or change uh, in hormone. It can be caused by severe stress by many different factors and there are different types of AIDS. It does exist, uh, no no, um, 
question about that. Um, our immune system can be affected in many different ways, and sometimes pretty almost irreversibly. But uh, was there an HIV? That was the question. And also, uh, uh, my <clears throat> very close relative was working in the um, lab that was working with uh, the like HIV viruses. Well, so they thought uh, they've been working on uh, Kaposhi sarcoma, Kaposhi, Kaposhi, how do you pronounce it? Uh, people would recognize it. And they've had a problem raising the virus. They couldn't raise it for two years. <laughs> and I've been there many times and that made me wonder as well. So, of course, the more I've been uh, introduced into the subject, the more questions I've had. Right. And uh, but then uh, uh, because uh, uh, working with MSF was more of a social and political story, it, you know, I, I've uh, never had time uh, and probably didn't bother to get in depth of the issue, though it sort of sat in the back of my mind that I still have to go back and revisit it at certain point. Um, and then um, um, uh, you know, after the mission was closed uh, in Russia, I um, um, went freelance working as and you know, providing um, consultation different hospitals uh, um, in the home country and worldwide, uh, curating uh, doctors and hospitals and sometimes patients on how to approach different issues. Um, I've been working a lot with international documents, uh, consulting on contracts and um, also, you know, medical studies, research studies. So I have um, have a very extensive experience in um, uh, not only knowing how to read these documents, but also uh, being able to analyze them, which uh, helped me tremendously. And at the beginning of the pandemics, um, uh, of, and uh, I've been able to recognize it all, uh, just like that, um, not only because of the event 201 that took place in October of 2019, and not only because of the lockstep report published on the Rockefeller Site Foundation uh, back in 2010, but also because of the uh, you know overall layout. It was just a matter of time because, uh, uh, you know, you could really tell that something like this would start. There's been lots of uh, movies issued by Hollywood on the uh, terrible viruses and infections. Uh, but at the time, I still believed uh, that it's possible to create the virus in laboratory, at least that's what our conventional training would tell us. Mm -hmm. Though I could never imagine technically how can it be done. Because when you think about the mechanisms and when you start reading these studies, they only describe those mechanisms uh, within the cell or around the cell when the uh, so-called virus is already inside the body, presumably. But they never talk about, and yes, they're talking about the transmissions, but they never tell you how does it go through all these gates, the immune gates in your body? How does it, you know, overcome this? <laughs> many, many obstacles that your body naturally creates. And of course, that was a question for me. And when this, um, you know, uh, pandemic started, of course, I wanted to understand first, uh, uh, you know, what is this? Uh, what is this thing? What is this uh, virus? As I thought at the beginning, how does it affect people? How does it? Um, uh, what are the mechanisms, and how can we stop it? How can we prevent it from spreading? And uh, of course, I also had my thoughts about uh, you know it being created in the lab, possibly. Though it was also quite suspicious because it uh, became. Um, you know, these leaks became too uh, obvious, too special, you know, like <laughs> they wanted them to be leaks, right? That Fauci had something to do with the lab in China 
And then this uh, a, a Chinese uh, scientist who escaped China and the lab, almost like this story with the Snowden, who was the, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the, the whistleblower. It, you know, when this kind of story is happening, it makes you wonder if you critically think in person, you are understanding how many gatekeepers do they have and understanding how many mechanisms of protections do they have. You, you would realize that nothing happens without reason. If there was a leak, somebody needed this to be a leak. Or thank you that there is a leak which of course also made me to be extremely critical about how I approach the information and studies. And uh, when I start, started um, looking for those studies, um, you know, I realized that, you know, I don't see the evidence of the virus. I uh, see abstracts and I see headlines of these studies, but they don't match the method. And they don't match uh, the description. And uh, what they're doing is uh, they all, you know, most of the studies are either built on hypo hypothesis or they built on um, quite vague um, assumptions. Um, you know, there's never been an isolation. At least I didn't discover one. And I've, uh, you know, I've read tons of studies, trust me. <laughs> um, you also have to realize that when you start treating them, you then recognize that many of them are simply copycats. Yes. And I don't know if you've heard of the issue of the ghostwriting for the big pharma, but mm. uh, you can recognize it just like that. Mm. You just have to do your homework. And after the 10th or a uh, dozen studies, uh, you, you start recognizing them right away on, the, on a certain topic. Because they just uh, copycat in each other. Mm. And um, uh, for those who don't know what uh, the ghostwriting is, um, it's a process that's being described. One of the criminal attorneys who have been uh, preparing the case and won the case against, um, uh, I think it was Moderna or Pfizer, uh, not long ago, about actually a couple of years ago. And they have discovered this uh, process. It's basically the marketing department of the pharmaceutical company first writes this scenario of um, um, not even just the drug necessarily, but first of uh, the pathogen or the issue being developed. Then this scenario will be sent to one of the, their pocketed uh, universities or um, you know, famous professor, so somebody with a big name, who will turn it into the study. And oftentimes it's not just the study study, it can be even the meta study, meaning that they would collect different uh, materials from other studies that could easily be meta studies themselves as well, right. <laughs> and would be combined into a new so-called study that would match the request of the marketing department and its scenario. Right. And then based on this study of this big university or this big professor, <clears throat> then there will be immediately labs and little scientists who would copycat it mm. because they would want to raise their score, mm. the publication score, the readability score, the, the recognition, and uh, the grants would be immediately available for them, just as long as you will match <laughs> this, this study. So um, uh, it's really easy to recognize when you start reading all the studies, uh, even without knowing it, you, you, would, uh, you, you would see that something is not right, right away. <laughs> Something's definitely not right. And um, I remember the first person I heard speaking about this was um, I actually, I got taught about terrain theory in my undergraduate degree, but I thought it was nonsense because I was like, we've proven that viruses cause disease. So I don't need to worry about terrain anymore. And then um, start of 2020, I heard Andrew Kaufman basically saying viruses don't cause disease and something inside me just clicked. And I went, I know he's telling the truth. And I started reading the methodology of these biology papers. And I was like, they're not 
isolating anything. They say they do in, yeah. in the title of the, of the study, but when you read the methodology, mm-hmm. they're not isolating anything. So when you see a paper that says we've isolated SARS-CoV-2 or we've isolated measles or whatever virus it is, what do they actually mean? What are they talking about? Uh, well, first of all, oftentimes people don't realize that isolate, that they, they think that they call isolate is not even the isolated virus, not even close. Uh, the speed is an isolate. The uh, uh, biopsy, the uh, piece of the tissue, uh, can be an isolate from the body. Something that presumably affected by the pathogen is the isolate, and it contains tons of the materials, including your own DNA and RNA, including the uh, bacteria, including the different fluids and uh, uh, biological um, uh, uh, factors. And all of it is considered an isolate. And then they are, uh, they'll have to go through the processes to purify it. And uh, first of all, uh, they, rarely go beyond the receiving the supernatant mm-hmm. and supernatant is still a very complex matrix of the biological material it's only been uh, uh you know it's like you're putting it through the mixer basically and you get the mix up of uh, uh everything right and then you'd have to go through this centrifuging and get in uh the different layers depending on their density and the size. And that's when you could tell that uh, one of the layers is possibly what you call in the virus. And, but then you'd have to know that it's, it is the virus, that they are not exosomes. Mm-hmm. And that's when you determine in their pathogenity going through the process of the Koch postulates but they're not even caught many people don't even realize core was uh adapting them making them more vague while they were actually handling the postulates Hanley was the first scientist who developed those postulates and there is a reason why they don't mention him because <clears throat> he was very precise and specific and they never match it Another thing that we also have to keep in mind is that pathogen is not necessarily the biological substance. Pathogen, if you translate it from Greek, the pathology, the path, the pathogenic, uh, something that causes disease. Genic is the cause, and then uh, patho, pathology. <laughs> um, I don't remember exactly, but the first part of the word is the disease. So causing the disease, and it can be any chemical, it can be radiation, it can be ionizing radiation or non-ionizing radiation. It can be your own uh, um, um, body acids uh, from the stress. It can be the, even the environment can be pathogenic, you know? And um, um, uh, what they're doing right now is they want us to believe that pathogen is only the virus or bacteria. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that. Pathogen is pretty much anything that would cause the disease. So we have to prove the pathogenicity of the virus. And when you read the studies, what you discover is that, first of all, they never go through the entire process of isolation and sometimes they even dare to say that you know it's impossible to isolate because it's inside the cell Mm. that's uh that's a lie first of all because it is possible that there there are means to uh isolate these particles inside the cell we have means to do that but they don't go that way. And I don't know why, not because it's impossible, but I think because they don't want to, <laughs> because then they'll have to deal with this pure substance and it will cause nothing. Yes. And then, then they have to um, uh, get them into the clean culture of the healthy cells and not even the healthy cells to go through the uh that's what they do in the using cells the virus cells virus cells are the cells the kidney cells of the green monkey and they're already extremely vulnerable and fragile 
And they put in into this green, the, the, the virus cells, uh, all kinds of poisons that would be poison for the cells. Um, uh, the cow milk, the uh, real blood, uh, antibiotics that are extremely toxic for the kidney cells in, in themselves. Uh, the um, antifungal drugs. So basically, and then they starve them to death. <laughs> and when cells die, the sphere cells die, they tell, okay, look, look, virus killed them. And these particles, these exosomes that they get from this death, because they poisoned and stopped them, they call viruses. Okay, so then if you consider them viruses, take them, clean them off from poisons, and give them in, you know, uh, to another healthy person and prove their pathogenity, make them cause the disease. Mm. And it's impossible to do that because they know they will never be, that's why they never do that. And they never have the control experiment where they would take the virus cells and would put all these other poisons and substances without the so-called virus because they know that the cells would die the same way and they will produce the same hmm. so-called uh, viruses because all they would do, they will produce exosomes and then they'll fail because there is, they've proved nothing. And it's impossible, like I said, it's impossible for them to get uh, the healthy person um, uh, um, get sick and prove this uh, heavenly postulates or Koch postulates, whichever, uh, however you like to call them, because um, <laughs> basically what you do is um, um, you, you, you have to take the, um, um, you know, just this isolated so-called virus, mm -hmm. right? And uh, they, they, they never do that. They just don't, don't ever do that. Not on the animals, not on the healthy people. And actually this experiment have been made years ago, um, I think in, in the, back in the 50s, when they took American prisoners and uh, uh, took the uh, patients that they considered to be sick with the flu, and they've placed them together and they've been using their uh, bodily fluids and, uh, uh, you know, um, using them to, uh, you know, for contagion of this imprisoned uh, uh, people who participated in the experiment. And nothing has happened. None of these people, and there were about a hundred, and it's described in the medical literature, about the hundred of these people, they never got sick. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? They they tried to make people think yeah. they couldn't do it, and then all of a sudden, when they fail to do that, then they have to go and start poisoning cells to say, "Oh, well, there is a virus there." It's you know we've got evidence of it now that we're poisoning these cells in a tissue culture, um, which is like a it's a pretty big leap for a lot of medical professionals and people in in the health field to take because we're we've been so indoctrinated into thinking that there is a virus, right? And like in all of my years of training, we never got told about how it is that you isolate a virus or how a virus has been proven to cause disease. Um, so why is it, do you think that so many of the health professionals that I've mentioned this to have gone and looked at a few studies and they've come back and been like, whoa, I never realized how shoddy the science was. But on the other hand, there are a lot who sort of go, oh, you're crazy, right? Um, why do you think that there's some people who can see it very clearly, but others either don't want to see it or they just don't have the critical thought processes to evaluate the evidence. Why is there such a disparity between these two groups? Of people? Yeah, well, I think there are many, there, there are multiple reasons. It's never the single reason. Same with uh, uh, the cause of the disease, like people saying, okay, if there is no virus, why people are getting sick? Yeah. And an important thing before we get there, uh, what I forgot to mention when I was talking about them getting uh, people sick is that we don't even have a clear nosological form. There are no specific symptoms that would be specific to this particular virus, to this particular disease, especially the one that we're talking about right now. So when we're talking about the, uh, uh, 
you know, and people getting sick for all the different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some somebody is uh, uh, getting the and the psychogenic attack. Some are being hypnotized by this, uh, you know, TV NLP <laughs> processes. Uh, some are being poisoned through uh, the disinfection, and uh, they poisoning themselves by using these disinfectants constantly, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, may, may, many other reasons and things that are yet to be explored what uh, when we're going back to your question uh, about why is it that people don't see the obvious right because these are the obvious things it's first of all they uh, don't dare to get away from the indoctrination you know we've been indoctrinated and so was i and when i first heard from andrew kaufman dr kaufman uh that <laughs> The viruses have never been isolated. There are no viruses and uh, there are exosomes. I thought, okay, yeah, I like like you said, he's telling the truth and he knows what he's talking about. The guy is not just a doctor. He's got an MIT in microbiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a microbiologist from the MIT, right? One of the uh, like leading uh, uh, institutes, uh, universities in the world. And he really, really knows what he's talking about when he's talking about the process. He made me uh, uh, explore the issue and made me study and uh, made me wonder. But it was extremely difficult. You know, when you're indoctrinated in the stereotypical knowledge, and then when you discover that it's hypothesis, but you haven't been taught the, you know, to look into a different direction, it's quite scary. And besides, you're there on your own. Mm. It's not like there is a group of wandering scientists or doctors who are with you on the same page and you all explore it because others don't even dare to go there. And when I started, you know, looking into this and I've started, so I still had tons of questions in the beginning because I couldn't answer them. And when my colleagues, when I would discuss it with them, those who would dare to discuss it with me, they, they, those would tell, okay, but what, how about the polio? What do you do with polio? Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back into history and do your own research and discover that, for example, the polio was an issue of the DDT mm-hmm. being used unsafely on children and on the crops and people getting sick and especially children getting sick from it. And then you realize it's a big pharma that wanted to cover up its crimes, made up the disease. And then you'd have to explore every single so-called virus Mm. from the same perspective, from the same point of view. And oftentimes, yes, there are some internal processes like this, uh, the flu, for example, right? Because we are living in a very unhealthy environment. We are eating contaminated foods we are a lot of chemicals around us a lot of chemicals in the foods even if you're trying to eat organic and if you you, even when you're trying to stick to a healthy style of life you're still exposed to it plus we all live in a very deep stress and of course it does affect our bodies and we um, you know our bodies have to find ways to rid of those toxins that they produce in because normally, if we would live in a healthy environment and lead healthy lifestyles, the creative uh, lives, um, we wouldn't produce so much poisons, the yes. self-poison, but we do. And that's, that's the flu, or that's the purpose. But then there are other diseases like polio that do demand investigation, like criminal investigation. And finding the handmade causes yes. and appointing the responsible companies or individuals, those who be, became the you know the the criminals, <laughs> those who have caused the so-called epidemics, but those who are not epidemics of the virus infections, those were the epidemics of the um of experiments or of the chemical attacks or of uh, the radio, you know, radioactive uh, uh, influences or non uh, non ionizing um, um, uh, emissions 
but they still can cause the disease. And it needs to be explored and it's quite dangerous. A lot of people realize that it's scary and you don't want to be a white crowd. <laughs> Nobody wants to be, yeah, the old black sheep, whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's almost like... We all want to be white ships. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have a choice though, because once you learn this, like once you learn that it's sort of like a magic trick, it's like, hey, look over here. This is this virus is all the problems. It's causing all the disease. And meanwhile, people are being poisoned and they're nutrient deficient and they're stressed and they're getting exposure to radiation. And we're told, don't worry about these things over here. It's the virus. It's the virus. It's the virus. So we just spend all our time focusing on this virus and we never pay attention to the real things that are causing disease and it's such a in my perspective it's such a big uh lie right Huge. it's hard for people to grasp that that actually basically everything we thought we knew about health and disease is probably wrong a lot of it is, is probably wrong and it's very hard for people to grasp that and now we're being told, well, the only way to um, protect yourself against this virus is with a vaccine. So if there is no virus making people sick, what's the vaccine for? That's an excellent question. What's the vaccine for? What it does to your body? What, uh, and uh, it, I, I think it does uh, relate to all of the vaccines. And I'm sure that uh, almost every single person has a story to tell that has to do with vaccine, either from their own experience or from the experience of their uh, closest relatives. Because uh, uh, one way or another, a lot of people have been su suffering the consequences of this so-called vaccines, but we were led to believe that it's normal that it's normal. Uh, by the way, I think it's uh, important to mention that, um, uh, for example, the uh, Eastern medicine does not recognize any uh, external pathogens except for like the man-made ones, the, uh, uh, those that are produced by the, through the chemicals or uh, so on and so forth. Mm. They do teach and and they have this rather holistic approach and they teach you that it's basically all the causes of the disease and all the uh, instruments for healing are inside yourself yes and uh, that's another thing that i definitely want to start studying because i'm realizing that they have a much more integrative approach that this is the this is really uh about the person as a whole you can only help the individual when you are approaching the person as a system that is within the system that is part of this biosynosis the buy in this environment and that it communicates and manifests through its health and through uh, and, and it receives and there is this amazing exchange and uh, that's something that we shall study mm. and instead we are constantly interfering and invading the body with the chemical allopathic medicine with the vaccines that in my opinion, this entire time, you know, we have this virology science for 150 years around. No wonder it's so deep inside our minds. We've been born into this pseudoscience. Yes. And of course, questioning this uh, is extremely difficult, but we must, if we really want to, um, um, you know, understand the causes of the, the two causes of disease and uh, if we want to to get out of this extremely manipulative system. Because what, when you're asking what the vaccines are for, I think they are for manipulation. Yeah. I think they are for uh, the control. I think not even these ones, but the previous ones. I think they are for uh, the experiment because this uh, so-called science that I, I don't even dare, I think is extremely unethical to call <laughs> the science the way it, you know it, it um, functions at this point 
it, it's a constant experiment. That's another reason, actually, I, I didn't mention when you asked me what uh, I was doing and what am I doing right now. For the last two years, I became, uh, uh, I got in depth of the uh, biosecurity and bioethics, and I became the expert on biosecurity and bioethics because, you know, uh, I've discovered that uh, WHO, for example, World Health Organization, uh, have decided to uh, define the biosecurity and bioethics, the way they perceive it. And I realized, okay, it has nothing, it's, it's, it's a very new uh, approach. And I thought, okay, we shall not let them hijack this, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, directions and we have to retake them. And that's when I've started getting in depth of things and also the ethical side of it and the, uh, the issue of the security. Uh, if uh, you turn a little bit away from this science and uh, um, um, turn to this uh, global agenda that is being served with this so-called science, mm. um, and you think about what the World um, Economic Forum, for example, have been doing, right? Because they've been one of the uh, leaders in uh, implementation of this new world order. And we can say this freely now because the international leaders are using these terms and it's not a conspiracy theory anymore. It's a conspiracy practice, right? Yeah. It's the practice of the conspiracy. <laughs> so um, uh, what they're saying, and one of the like the key people, Yuval Harari, the uh, Israeli uh, historian, who is the beloved a uh, uh, sign of the World Economic Forum, he's saying that we are the last uh, generation of homo sapiens. That's, yeah. I'm saying, you can, yes, you can find it. I think he said it uh, in 2018, openly and loudly, um, uh, on one of the uh, World Economic uh, Forum summits. Hmm. In Davos, um, it was repeated in uh, uh, Chicago, um, I think it was 2020 or 2019 you can find it right. um I, I suggest those who haven't heard him before i suggest you listen mm -hmm. <laughs> to all of his uh, at least uh, three four years uh presentations in uh for the world economic forums uh pay attention to how he's been introduced how much faith they put in him uh he is there um um, Moses, I guess, <laughs> in a way. And he is predicting that we are being the last generation of homo sapiens and that we will definitely change, uh, not through the evolution process, not naturally, but because of the synthesis, because we can, that's their favorite, right? Because they can, they, they do this. And that's what they are trying to uh, approach right now. They, they want the synthesis of the, or another way they call it great convergence, the synthesis of the biological and technological. Mm. And scary, I think yeah. that's another, yeah, that's another thing that uh, they need this so-called vaccines for. And let's keep in mind that we don't have a single vaccine at this point because they're all still going through the clinical studies. None of them have been properly registered. N nowhere in the world. It's an experiment. It's a medical experiment that's extremely important to keep in mind and understand. And when pe people saying, I had no choice but to take this vaccine, otherwise I would lose a job. No, you have a constitution. In every democratic country, there is a constitution that's protecting your right and protecting you from pr participating. It's not about the vaccination it's not about it's about the medical experiment it's still an experimental vaccine an experimental drug and i don't even dare to call it the vaccine and i think we shall use a proper language to get away from this you know hypnotic pressure and uh, nuremberg, uh, nuremberg code is protecting us from the participation in a medical experiment so no, there are no vaccines because they're not registered. So they're, they're legally 
and even this Kubernetes, uh, the so-called Pfizer, the one that they have registered, they're not using. And the one that they are using is only is registered for the emergency use only. Be very careful about the, how they trick you. Mm. When they're saying that they've registered something, it's not what they're using. And it's not even really a, a vaccine, to my understanding. It's a gene therapy. No. But I'm even sort of skeptical on whether or not you can affect someone's genes and then they sort of talk about the fact that it hijacks your cell to produce this spike protein but i'm sort of a little bit dubious about that as well i'd like to hear your thoughts on on that yeah yeah uh, everything i've read about the spike protein and then i spoke with different world genesists I didn't get any straight answer. I think that new science proteomics is just as much a BS, pardon my French, as the <laughs> as the virology. Uh, they just want to confuse you even more, and they want to get get in depth because this will open the next level of lies and the next uh, level of manipulation. And uh, uh, I didn't find any uh, proof of the so-called spike protein. What I found is that they've been using the graphene oxide for quite some times in uh, the vaccines. You can, if you open PubMed, you'll find that. That I would believe that they're using, and that is definitely uh, has its mutagenic effects. Right. And maybe that's why they want to cover up the effects of the highly cytotoxic and mutagenic graphene through naming the so-called vaccines as a gene therapy because gene therapy people would understand you can explain it and you can tell that you're doing this for their own good to protect them mm. from the uh, mutating viruses uh, teaching your system to produce the so-called spike protein that will recognize the spike protein on the virus and all this bosom. <laughs> yeah. The truth is there is no, I, when, you know, I, I've been questioning, literally questioning some genesists. They have no straight answer for me. They are working virtually on the spike proteins mainly, or they're working with markers. There's no way for them to see this spike protein there's no way for them to experiment with it directly the markers <coughs> that they're using they buy from big pharma and they have to trust them that these are the markers specifically for this spike protein which are also non-specific just for this spike protein they are they're specific mm. for some other proteins as well That's right. and uh, when i'm thinking about the you know i've been studying the cytotoxic uh, effects they've been asked to prepare the analysis on the uh, um, graphene cytotoxicity and i've had to explore many many studies that have been published on that and how they're using it it's first of all it's still an experimental highly experimental uh, drug yes they have very big hopes for it and they uh, uh describe in many benefits possible benefits but the problem and it's a huge problem uh it's the cytotoxicity of this um substance and the problem is that they don't know all of the properties what they have discovered is that with size the smaller it becomes the nanoparticles, the more cytotoxic it gets, right. uh, the more damaging to your cell and to your proteins and to your DNA it becomes. This, uh, uh, it also depends, those uh, um, uh, graphene uh, that have been cleaned uh, with the sonic effect and uh, uh, in other ways are less cytotoxic than, than those, those that are, uh, you know, getting infused with uh, uh, nitrites, for example. And then when it's in your body, there's no way for you to keep it clean. And when you eat it and you're, you're getting nitrates with the sausage, for example, mm. it does affect this graphene inside you. And I think they're still experimenting. Not that I think that actually you can tell it from their own studies. Right. And many other, you know, uh, properties that I, they're still trying to recognize. For example, the, um, uh, uh, it depends very much on shape and form. 
the more it's the plainer, the uh, less toxic it is. There, uh, when it gets, you know, um, uh, shaped uh, differently, it becomes much more cytotoxic, and so on and so forth. And they're still saying it; it's yet to be discovered. They don't know how the uh, electricity will affect hmm. the uh, graphene inside the body. They don't know how it will respond to different treatments, how it interferes with other drugs. They don't know. And yet they dare to use We, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Uh, Robert Young reports. Yes. But it was just him. Yeah, who have discovered the graphene in those vaccines? I also being produced the report. I'm sorry, I, I I understand that people need more than just believing me, but I'm just sharing um, that I've been privy to some reports that are proven with five different approaches that there is graphene. So um, you know, um, we at least have to pose the question we have to be able to get an answer from not just the governments but the pharmaceutical companies everywhere in the world what's inside your vaccines i don't care about it i'm mrnas honestly i don't because from what i'm reading and from what i'm seeing you know i don't see much proof of this um you know being really um effective or um you know being able to do something with your body because like i've said we have many uh immune gates that will deal with the foreign um mrna with the foreign biological substance Hmm. yes we can give an allergic reaction uh we can have sometimes even severe reactions but Nothing more than that, or we can get a fever. But what we are getting with this chemical substance that is almost undestroyable in our bodies, according to their own studies again, that is something that is much more concerning, and that is something that yet to be studied and discovered, and definitely not on healthy people and not on mass. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and I'm just, I'm just conscious of the time as well, because I, I want to be respectful yeah. of your time. But there are, were a couple of things I wanted to ask you just as we sort of move into the final stages. Where do you think all of this is going? And is there a way out of this? Can, can we win this? I think that it's definitely going in the direction, uh, uh, according to their scenario, um, uh, in uh, reducing population to make the numbers of the population manageable. It's not about the resources, it's about the control. (laughs) We can share resources, there are enough resources uh, Mm. on Earth to uh, feed even a much higher population, we can double and triple. And according to many scientists, it's not going to affect the earth. Uh, of course, uh, unless we, if we are conscious about how we uh, live in, right? But it's not about the resources, it's about the control. So uh, apparently they're trying to squeeze us <laughs> and they are uh, organizing this agglomerations, there's uh, huge smart cities. Mm-hmm. You can find it in the smart cities of the world site. It's one of their projects, uh, strong cities of the world. They may they have all this kind of projects uh, that they're spread. And uh, these are the places where they're hoping to get people inside with no uh you know, personal belongings or property that when you will, depending on your social rating, will <laughs> share with others. And uh, uh, if you are behaving, then you will be, um, you know, uh, benefited from the system to an extent. And if not, then you'll be punished by the system, basically. So it's a uh, modern day slavery, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, whether we can win, 
I think it depends on uh, what do you consider winning. You know, I don't think that, you know, in, in, they, they've spent in tons of resources. They have or been organizing it, not for decades, but for centuries. Mm. Um, and um, I, I think that definitely and there are many people who want to become the part of this new world. They just don't see the dangers of this world and they just don't see nothing wrong with it. So they just want to get there into those declarations and into this new reality, living in the without the being without the family, living in this virtual world, because they've been indoctrinated into the new belief that there is no real world, it's a hologram and it's another virtual reality. And what do you care living in this? world or you'll be comfortably living in your little cubicle in experiencing the world through the virtual you know life yeah where we get in the meta universe yeah from right so they they're hoping to get people inside this meta universe Mm. in my opinion winning is not participating in this battle is not uh submitting to this new submitting to this new system staying away from it becoming an active observer not the passive the active observer acting depending on the circumstances being prepared to lose the some comfort of this life but not losing your soul you know i'm a spiritual person i uh, i'm faithful and i do believe that it's you know the only battle you can win in this uh, uh, is the battle between good and evil Mm. and trying not to submit to evil (laughs) and to its um, um, you know promises of a better life is uh, the way to win yeah they're dangling that carrot and a lot of people are taking the bait a lot of people are falling for it Uh, but you know that passive or sorry, that active observer. I think that's what we're trying to do here is just having conversations <laughs> like this. Uh, people will listen to this and hopefully it sparks something in them that will get them to ask questions. Um, I did a, a live presentation to about 60 clinicians uh, a couple of weeks ago about all of this and presented mm-hmm. all the evidence around or what we've been talking about. And a couple of people came up to me at the end and said, wow, you've just switched something on in my brain and I see it all now so clearly. And for me, I was like, great, I've done my, my part. I've woken up a couple of people. That's all I needed to do. If everyone does that, then the world's going to change pretty quickly. So yeah, I think we can just keep doing what we're doing, working the, the best way that we know how to, to, to try and help humanity. And that's what we're doing. We're asking yeah. questions and trying to get to the bottom of, of this and trying to find the truth. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspectives. Was there anything that you wanted to say in, in closing before we finish tonight? I think we covered pretty much everything, uh, but I do wish uh, that uh, people try to stay conscious, you know, stay in the, uh, um, conscious and being critical of things and being that active observer not submitting to the fear and remembering that we are not just the body we are the spirit soul mind and the body and in that order and then i think that the fear will go away and uh we will win this battle Dr. Kislev, thank you so much for coming and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Um, did you have like a, a website or anything that people can go and um, get in contact with you? Or um, I'm not sure if you do or not, but I'll give you the opportunity to. I have a Telegram channel. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it's uh, mainly in Russian because I'm probably one of very few voices in Russian in Russia. <laughs> that speaks about uh, uh, these things that openly. Um, I'd be happy to share it with you and that maybe you can uh, share the link under this video. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, but uh, still there are many uh, materials that are in English as well. And then you can always use the Google translation. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully I can get you back again, maybe in the new year, if there's some more things that we can talk about, um, maybe about the true nature of disease and healing and how to stay healthy and just talk about all the Sounds other things great. that medicine yeah. sort of... Uh, yeah. Sounds great. Sure, let's cool. do that. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.